but uh, we're live now. So, um, <laughs> I can do it. I'm sorry. What is up, everybody? We are back again. Another, another episode. Another episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast with your host, Callum, and Raymond Hatfield. I like how we kind of switched that up. I wasn't expecting that, but that uh, (laughs) worked out pretty good. Uh, So we're back again where we try to help teach you a thing or two about your camera so that you can start taking better photos today. Whatever it may be, if if you're an expiring wedding photographer, if you just want to take better photos of the kids, we're going to help you. Uh, can, I, can I cut in? It sounded like you said expiring wedding photographer, but... Um, uh, I sure hope that I'm not an expiring wedding photographer. <laughs> uh, no, no, you're definitely not. <laughs> Good. So today we are talking all about, or I guess we're wrapping up our entire segment on the exposure triangle. So that is what we are getting into today. That's true. Last uh, last podcast, we we brought together the final triangle portion, uh, and that included ISO. Uh, great podcast. We talked about some really awesome things, um, and I'm excited to wrap it up and show you guys some examples and talk through some scenarios. Aren't you, Raymond? I sure am. All right. So, you know, one of the big things is that we've taught you a little bit about the exposure triangle. We've taught you about each aspect of it. We've taught you about aperture. We've taught you about shutter speed. And in our last podcast, we talked about ISO as well. But now is the important part, bringing it all together and how to start using it. So we're going to go through a little role play right here. So, Cal, I got something for you, buddy. Let's say... You had uh, you were you were gonna go out to the park with some friends and you were gonna start taking the photos. You're gonna shoot in manual mode. Where would you start with this whole exposure triangle thing and setting up your camera? Absolutely. Um, that's uh, I get that question a lot from friends. Um, you know when I'm out shooting with them who are newer to photography, so it's a, a great place to start. I um, I wonder if you're the same, Raymond. I'm actually someone who starts at the aperture because I find that aperture sets the scene um, for a lot of what I want to share. Um, if I'm doing going out and doing portraits, um, I really want to have a shallow depth of field. Um, so that means I'm going to open up my aperture to a, a lower number, uh, maybe 1.8, uh, f2, f2.4, 2.8, and then I'm going to move on most likely 95% of the time to my shutter speed. Um, if you got shaky hands like me, I need to make sure that my shutter speed's fast enough to account for that. And if it's people, I want it to be faster than around 250. If it's uh, a dog, and I'm actually going to show you an example with a dog in it in a little bit, I want it to be faster than 1 800th of a second. Once I've solved those two sort of pieces of the exposure triangle, uh, I'm then going to go and use whatever ISO brings me to a, as close to a proper exposure um, that that's relevant. Um, sometimes, if it's a bright day, that's ISO 400. If that's um, if it's a, a darker day, maybe it's you know sunset or just after sunset. I might be going up to 800, 1200, 2500. Whatever is going to get me that shot is where I'm going to put that ISO. 
Okay, so when you first get out there, you first start with your aperture, and then you adjust your shutter speed, and then your ISO, right? Yeah, that's that's usually 95% of the way I go. Okay, okay. So I'm guessing most of the time, if you do change it up, it's because maybe it's it's dark outside and you need to have a higher ISO to start with. Is that right? Yeah, I will... Sometimes I'll start with my um, my shutter speed if I know that maybe I'm going to take uh, – I'm not going to ruin the other example I'm going to show in a little bit. But maybe I'm going to shoot something that requires a longer shutter speed by nature. Um, maybe I'm taking a picture of a lake um, or a river and I want to capture really smooth water lines. I know that I need to start with my shutter speed because I need the shutter speed to be longer. And then I'm going to adjust my aperture and my ISO to account for that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, but, yeah, that makes but, sense. That makes sense. So but aperture at the start is is usually my my starting point because different depths of field create different, just different connections to me. Um, you know, I really love having thin depth of field when I'm shooting people um, or taking photographs of people, simply because I think I can create and isolate certain figures and, and portions of people's faces with a, a shallow depth of field that I can't do um, by starting with a shutter speed. Right, right. So like you were talking about before uh, in the previous podcast about aperture, whatever's in focus and whatever's the brightest is what your eye is going to go to first. So it makes sense that adjusting your aperture first, knowing that you want this person to be in focus, is, uh, is a good place to start. So, so that makes sense. Okay. Absolutely. What are you like, Raymond? I, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. I value uh, a very good depth of field. Uh, obviously, we spend, as professionals, a lot of money on our gear, and they can open up to very wide apertures to create that creamy depth of field. So I'm going to utilize it. I, I spend that time uh, mostly around, you know, one four, one eight. Uh, if I'm shooting portraits, um, and then I know from there to go ahead and set my shutter speed because I'm not going to be shooting at an 8,000th of a second, but I know that I'm not going to be shooting at one second. So I can basically just, you know, pick a number, uh, you know, one two fiftieth of a second. And then from there, I know that I'm going to get a good exposure if I set my ISO correctly. So I simply just look through the camera and then change my ISO according to where it shows that it's level or even on the, uh, in the meter. And then, and then that's it. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't really have to be a science. It can just be just messing around with your camera and just seeing what you get. And that's that's how I learned manual. I'm sure that that's how you, Cal, learned manual as well. It's how everybody basically starts off as. Nobody reads how manual works and then just picks up the camera and knows exactly what to do. And then they're pros. So it's all about experimenting. But that is that's what I have found best. If I'm shooting at night, Sometimes I will start off with my ISO just because I know that I need to be sensitive to light. Or like you said, if I'm shooting, um, you know, a couple walking down the aisle, I'll I'll start at my shutter speed because I know that I'm going to want to freeze them walking down the aisle. Um, And maybe, you know, I'll go with one eight hundredth of a second and then I'll open up my aperture, something a little deeper, maybe an F4 just to get a good depth of field so that they don't walk through it. And then I'll change my aperture or I'm sorry, my, my ISO from there. And then that's it. That's that's pretty close to how I approach it. Um, I do know other genre of photographers who will start uh, at different different 
different places. Um, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Um, those are just two examples. You might find you like to start with shutter speed all the time. That's totally awesome. Yeah, that's true. But I think at its core, what's most important here is wherever you start, you're going to have to adjust the other two settings. Because when we bring the whole exposure triangle together and we build this thing into a triangle, whatever it is that you start off with or change, you have to do the opposite to the other two or one of the other two. So if you change your shutter speed to a lower number to allow more light in, you're going to have to either stop down to a larger aperture number to reduce the amount of light, or you're going to have to bring your ISO down to reduce its sensitivity to the extra light that's coming in. So it's kind of like, um, oh God, I'm going to sound like an idiot here. Newton's third law, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Is that right? That is right, yeah. Okay. Scientist Callum. But uh, thank you for that. <laughs> We're going to verify that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I actually was wanted to keep talking, but my phone went off, and in my computer, the phone rings into my headphones, so I was trying to very sneakily <laughs> decline the call. Um, you did a like, great yes. job until you brought it up, so <laughs> great job, now everybody knows. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, and that's true to the exposure triangle. It's just deciding whatever it is that you want to adjust next. Sometimes you could be adjusting, if you, if you adjust your aperture, maybe you will both change your shutter speed and your ISO, or maybe just changing your shutter speed will be fine. Um, Absolutely. I think, like, if you, um, assuming that the image is perfectly exposed for, um, and like Raymond said with that triangle, and you've got maybe a ISO 200 uh, is what you're set at, and you're currently at F, um, F4. See, now you have a phone call. <laughs> Man, we're just getting phone calls left and right. We're busy, people. We are busy. Don't they understand uh, we're recording a podcast here? Jeez. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell everybody. I'm like, I'm busy in the phone. I'm in the podcast. <laughs> um, let's say you got a, an exposure of ISO 200, F4, maybe one four hundredth of a second. Um, if you want to go and make that uh, that shutter speed faster, assuming your exposure is already perfect and you, you take away a stoplight to one eight hundredth of a second, you, you're then going to have to l- compensate one of those other two points or both to compensate for that loss of that stop of light that you've lost. So you might choose to only change the ISO um, to compensate for the shutter speed by boosting it up one stop to make it brighter. Or you might do half a stop of light with your ISO and half a stop of light with your aperture. Um, So again, there's no right or wrong answer. It's about how those three sort of in a symbiosis work together. Um, And the best way to practice and master that and be able to do it without thinking and believe me, I have to think about it a lot some days, um, is just practice, practice, practice. Um, yeah, just absolutely. Just going out there, seeing what happens when you move something one way uh, versus the other way, and take note. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that brings us into what we're talking about next, which is changing your exposure triangle to make creative, artistic choices. That is true. That is true. So 
let's say that you want to shoot a portrait and you want a depth of field where the person is in focus, but obviously whatever's in the background is out of focus. What, what would you do then? Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step. And the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. What I would, uh, if I want to take a portrait, usually what I, I want to achieve is isolating the eyes of that, that person, because that is where you want to draw yourself naturally. People look each other in the eyes um, in real life. So I want you to be focused on that area. Um, I'm going to choose a, a shallow depth of field, and usually I'm going to choose something around f1.8 to maybe f2.8, depending on the length of my lens or the focal length of my lens, and depending on how bright it is um, where I'm working. If I'm working in um, a really uh, bright day, I might have to open up to 1.8 to get the exposure, but that means my ISO is going to have to be as low as possible. Um, that means my shutter speed is probably going to have to be above 1 2,000th of a second um, to isolate just the eyes in focus where you might actually see the back of head is out of focus and the shoulders are out of focus because that focal plane is so, so thin. Um, so you, I might have that super low ISO and super high shutter speed because I want to prioritize that uh, shallow, shallow uh, depth of field. So that's exactly how I would probably go about creating an artistic shallow depth of field uh, when taking a portrait. Raymond, why don't you talk to us about how you would go about setting up your camera for freezing fast-moving subjects, like race cars or dogs? Yeah, so then this would be another, you know, creative decision that you would be making. It wouldn't depend exactly on just getting the proper exposure. So obviously you're going to rely heavily on your shutter speed because that's what controls the amount of motion in your photos. So if I were to take a photo of, say, a dog running or um, – maybe people mountain biking or something. Here in Indiana, there's not a lot of mountains. I don't know where I came up with that idea, but maybe I just like thinking about mountain biking. Anyway, so if I were to get something like that, I would have to be at a higher shutter speed because, like I said, that's what that's what stops motion out of the three aspects, the aperture, ISO, and the shutter speed. The shutter speed is what controls your motion. So if you are shooting a fast-moving subject, you want a fast shutter speed to be able to stop so I would, I would, that's where I would start off. I would start off with something like, I'd probably start at 2,000th of a second and then see if I had to go faster. But if I didn't, then, you know, obviously 2,000th is where I would start at. And then from there, uh, depending on which way they were moving, if they were moving parallel to me or if they were moving at me, 
would would depend on whatever my aperture would be. So because of depth of field, it doesn't matter if somebody's walking from left to right, they're always gonna be in the same plane of, uh, of focus. But if they're walking from back to front, that's when it's gonna change. So that's where I would change my uh, aperture. I'd probably set it if they were coming towards me, four, maybe even a five, six, uh, just to ensure that I could get them in focus when I do take their photo. And then I would go ahead and change my uh, ISO. And it would be the exact opposite if you were trying to get a slow-moving subject. So what kind of slow-moving subjects would uh, would you be shooting? I know earlier you mentioned uh, waterfalls, but is there anything else maybe? Uh, anything that, um, you know, I'm sure there are tons of examples. I, I know some, and I'm just drawing blanks here. Um, okay, so let's say that you were going to just shoot a waterfall then. What would you do there? Yeah, I think a lot of people will see two different types of waterfalls. They'll either want to shoot it, shoot it so it's very sharp, um, very frozen, and a very popular way to shoot nature, especially around lakes, big bodies of water, and waterfalls, is actually shooting them for a longer period of time so that the water actually turns into this like silky sort of, it almost looks like just, just perfect coming down the waterfall or the river looks like it's just moving in kind of like one smooth thing. It's not rough and ragged. Um, And how to achieve that, what I would do is I would actually go out, I would get my composition, and the first thing I would set up, I I would probably consider how long I want to expose the image for. Um, If it's a a slow-moving river, um, you know, and I want to get that silky effect, I might have to shoot somewhere 10 seconds... 15 seconds. I might have to shoot for 20 seconds. Um, and because that's a really, really long exposure, uh, that means you're going to also let the sensor be hit by a lot of light for a long time. So you do risk the, uh, you run into the risk of overexposing if you don't compensate the other two portions of your exposure triangle. And what I would then go do is I would probably try to bring my aperture into play next because I'm going to have to decide how much focus or how much depth of field I want in the image. Um, A really good problem here is that because my image exposure time is really long, I'm going to stop down a lot and increase my depth of field. So all or if not almost all of the the actual what's in, in focus or what's in my subject view in my viewfinder will be in focus. It'll be sharp. The next thing I'm going to do, because that's a, a really long exposure time, and also I'm going to probably balance my ISO last. I'm going to find what what is the best option for my ISO um, based on where my aperture and where my shutter speed are. That's how I would go about it. I don't know. Would you maybe reverse that? Would you flip it to ISO second, Raymond? It depends. I mean, once again, if, uh, if we're talking about astrophotography, where you... Now, stars aren't slow-moving subjects, but relative to us, they are very slow-moving subjects. So you do need to have a very long shutter, but that is where I would start next, is with my ISO. I know because it's dark and stars are pretty dim, you know, relative to where we are, uh, then I am going to want to go with my ISO. Usually I start off around 3200, but I try to get it as low as possible because there's a lot of just black area. 
and uh, when you have all one uniform color or shade, that's when you're really going to notice imperfections in the photos, including the grain that we talked about from ISO, uh, from high ISOs. Absolutely. So I would, I would start there with ISO and then move on, uh, finish off with my aperture. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, we talked about some artistic creative decisions that you can use the triangle for um, to be able to get a look that, you know, you're trying to achieve. So now it's once again all about just an overview and try to break it down even further. So obviously we have your aperture. Once again, we're going to nail these in. I know that you guys are sick of hearing us say aperture, shutter speed, ISO, but we're just going to nail it into your head so that you understand that these are the most important settings on your camera because they are what expose your image. And if you don't have an exposed image, then you don't have an image. That's absolutely right. And yeah, you're going to be sick of us, but it's going to help you so much in the long run. So much. Um, I'll start it off. I'll talk about aperture. Um, That'll be the first one we'll go for in the triangle. So to give you a quick historical overview of everything we've uh, shared uh, in the Aperture actual podcast session, which you can check out, or uh, that we've been kind of talking through today, uh, if you... A larger aperture is essentially, the largest aperture you can achieve is the biggest possible hole you can have in that lens. Um, If you're watching this through video, you can see my lens right here. That is uh, not the largest you can possibly have. But it's a good example of seeing the the aperture blades in there. It is a great example. It's it's about, uh, that's about F4, Um, F4, maybe F5.6, and... You can see on my lens, it says 1.8. So that'd be the biggest possible hole inside. That'd be pretty much where you where you see the edges. It would be 1.8. That means it's really big, and what that means is going to let in a lot of light through that tiny little hole, um, as much light as it can possibly take in. But what that also means for you to remember is that you're going to have a very shallow depth of field. So I'm going to try and explain this very quickly by turning my head. Uh, So when you're set to uh, a very large aperture like 1.8 with a big hole, you're going to have a very shallow depth of field, maybe even this thin depending on how close you are. I don't know if you can see. everybody who's looking, um, or everybody who's listening rather, Callum is uh, is holding up his fingers uh, in front of his face to demonstrate how much um, would be in focus if looking through a camera. Yeah, so uh, my first finger is just in front of my nose, and uh, my, my second finger is probably halfway across my cheek, uh, not towards the back of my jaw, but uh, about halfway. Um, so that much would be in focus. You know, that's not a lot. That's probably only about five, five and a half inches at most. And as you stop down that lens and let in less light, so you can see here this is stopped down a little bit, as you stop down and let in less light, you actually increase your depth of field. So what you'll do is you'll actually go from this much depth of field to potentially this much depth of field and even more and even more as you close down. Uh, I think that's uh, the easiest way to think about it is how much space is going to be actually in focus depending on where you are. Sounded good. I understood it. I understood it. Um, it made sense to me. It's... Uh... Yeah, it's how much in front of you is in focus. And then your focus ring 
tells you how far away that amount is in focus, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, okay. So there's a lot of um, you know depth of field calculators out there. I mean, it can get down to science for sure, but uh, and you know they were used a lot in the film days when you couldn't get an instant playback or an instant uh, visual of how your photo turned out. But luckily with uh, uh, digital cameras, you can you can just go ahead and experiment, take the photo at 1.8, and see you know how much is in focus. If you focus on somebody's eye, see if the front of their nose is in focus. And Absolutely. then uh, see if their ears are in focus as well. And if they're not, then, you know, then you just got the eyes in focus. That's cool. Now, if you, you know, stop down to an F4, F5, 6, maybe, maybe now you'll see that the front of the nose is in focus, the eyes are in focus, and the ears are in focus. Um, Absolutely. So, so every time you stop down, you are increasing the amount of what is in focus. Absolutely. Do you want to talk to us about shutter speed, Raymond? Yeah, you know, um, shutter speed, like I said, is all about what controls the amount of motion that is in your photo. So if you are changing your shutter speed, you are going to need to either open up your aperture. Okay, so let's say that you have a shutter speed for freezing a subject. What you're going to need to do, since you have a high shutter speed, is you're going to need to open up your aperture and bump up your ISO just so that you let in more light and make the sensor more sensitive to the amount of light that is, is coming into it. Um, and then the same is for, uh, for ISO. If you are going to adjust your ISO for dark conditions and you make your sensor very sensitive, then you're going to need to limit the amount of light coming in through the lens with your aperture and how long that light is exposed to the sensor with your shutters. That's right. Hopefully that makes sense. So I think now we have a few photos that we are going to share uh, from our experiences, right? Uh, yeah, I have two photos. I believe you have two photos. I do. Who wants to go first? Are we going to like... Uh, you want to rock, paper, scissors it? Yeah, we can. All right, let's do okay, it. Here we go. Uh, rock, paper, Oh yeah. Oh, Callum won. Okay, Callum's going first. For the record, <laughs> that's I not how this works. <laughs> All right, I'll go. Oh first. wait, who's going first then? Usually the loser would go first, but um, I'm happy to go first. Okay, <laughs> Callum's gonna go first. I thought it was because you won. You won the chance to go first. We should have. We should have called out the rules beforehand. We know sure, for next time. The official it. beginner photography podcast rules for rock, paper, scissors. The <laughs> loser goes first. Okay. All right. So I hope everyone can see um, yes. See the screen. Um, all I can see is, a, is I can't actually um, see my own image for whatever reason. Uh, here we go. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to open up um, a little drawing pad here so I can actually draw on the screen and show you guys. Um, so this is a picture of a friend's dog. I was out on a, a nice little dog walk there. And uh, this dog is only about two years old. Lovely dog, but super hyper. Um, super, super hyper. Moves a ton. And um, I wanted to get some really nice kind of portraits of the dog that uh, my friends would want to put up in their house or print off and put in frames. Um, so there's two things at play here. Um, as you've learned over the last few weeks, to capture really fast-moving subjects, 
we need to have a fast shutter speed. Um, and dogs usually need something over one eight hundredth of a second to capture. Um, unless the dog is a turtle. Um, <laughs> then it would be a turtle. Then it would be a turtle, but also you wouldn't have to use that speed. So to actually get this image, I shot this. Um, oh, you know, that wasn't very good. I didn't realize that was going to happen. <laughs> let me. The dog me, is trying to say something into a cartoon speech bubble. This, uh, what I did is I actually, I started at one eight hundredth of a second to see what would happen. But because it was so fast, that shutter speed, um, I had to bump my ISO up. And I think, uh, no, I looked at the settings this morning. They, this was shot at ISO 1600. So that seems like it's pretty high, but it, it's actually, it's not that, it's, it's, that's pretty good. Um, I have no issues with shooting that high. And uh, to, to kind of round out that exposure triangle, I also wanted to shoot portraits that had not a lot of distractions in the background. So I also wanted to shoot fairly wide open. So once you take all the information, I had to actually go, oh, okay, I need to shoot fast enough, but I also had to shoot with a lot of, uh, I had to shoot pretty wide open. Um, so I, I'm going to give you guys five seconds to guess at what aperture I shot this at. Raymond, do you want to take some guesses? Yeah, uh, well, I can see that the background is completely out of focus. I can see that the dog's eyes are in focus, the nose is slightly out of focus, and the ears are out of focus slightly. Um, with this kind of web compression, I'm going to guess that you took this at an f4. Ooh, no. What lens do you think I was using? Oh, uh, this has got to be an 85. It's on my 50. It's on your 50. It's on my 50, um, the 51.4, and I shot it at 1.6. Whoa, really? Yeah, I did. Wow, I'm surprised. I, uh, I guessed a much higher number. That's... Yeah, so for everyone out there, this, this was shot quite wide open, um, almost at the max that I could possibly open up my lens. And then I, to compensate that, was able to keep that shutter speed really fast, above 1 800 of a second. Um, and then because it wasn't the brightest day out, I also bumped up my ISO to over 1,000 to make sure I, I received enough light on the sensor to have a, a, just a sharp, nicely exposed image. I like it. I like it. All right. I'm going to close this one, um, and I'll share my second one with you. I think we're, I'm going to have to come back on screen. Hello, everybody. Thanks, and I'm going to share photo number two with you very quickly. Um, everyone should be able to see this image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this was from a wedding earlier um, last year, uh, sort of by the lake. As you can see, if you're just listening, what we have here is a couple sort of holding each other and right in the middle of the frame. Uh, the bottom of the image is dominated by the grass. I actually put my camera right in the lawn for this. Um, and I was shooting this on a 24 millimeter lens. And what you see in the background behind the couple is the stars. Um, I've, I had to work really hard to get these stars, so I'm actually kind of proud of them. It but, looks great. But there was, this is a completely different image from the one I just showed you. Um, right off the hop, I'll give everyone five seconds to maybe think through what they would have set your camera up for that. 
I'm not going to play the Jeopardy music. I'll just give you five seconds. <laughs> okay, so trying to figure it out if they were outside at night, trying to shoot some stars. Yeah. So, Raymond, do you want to take a quick guess? If I were outside and I were shooting stars, it looks like there's a little bit of available light. Uh, I would guess that this is a 20-second exposure. Um, you probably had your lens. What, what lens was it you said? You said it was a 24. Was it a prime? It was the prime lens. Okay, then I'd probably guess that this was at a 2 or 2.8. And then um, what's left? Your shutter speed. Oh, no, you already did shutter speed. So then your ISO was probably uh, 3,200. There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. I did shoot it at 2.8. Mm -hmm. So I was correct on the 24 millimeter. I shot this, uh, I believe this was at 2,500. ISO. Okay. So you're pretty close. Third of a stop. Um, and I only shot this for five seconds. Wow. Okay. So you were a little bit closer to, uh, I'm guessing, a building uh, than I would have assumed. But I'm uh, uh, really LED surprised light. that you got that much star detail out of uh, five seconds. You do a little bit of work, you know, on the uh, on the computer after to I think increase the I increased a lot of the saturation. Right. Okay. Um, okay. I got you. Um, but that was about it. Um, and then I just changed the temperature of the image to bring it, it. It was a bit more purple originally. I brought it over to blue. Um, For some reason, the stars always do that. Um, so that was about it. But that's a completely different image from the last one where I shot um, really fast and sort of a sort of a medium ISO range. I had to actually bump this one into the couple thousands. And I had to shoot for 10 seconds. So that couple had to stay really, really still for that image. Yeah, that's always a tough one, getting couples to, uh, you know, stand still for, for night portraits. Sometimes they don't understand what it is that you're doing. So it's really just as, <laughs> as possible, and, uh, and we'll see what we get. But in your case, I think that it turned out, turned out wonderful, man. Good job. Yeah, so if, you know, if you're someone who's getting into star photography, and we put up a post on the Facebook page, um, that Petapixel posted or published uh, for better astrophotography results. You should check out that article on our page. It's pretty educational. Um, but this is the same same sort of concept, um, shooting for a much longer time frame. Yeah, just with a couple in it. Absolutely. It's the same principles. I'm going like to end the, end the screen share there. Raymond, I am going to throw it over to, for your two examples because you have two really good ones because they're from the same wedding, I hear. That is true. They absolutely are from the same wedding. Uh, let's see. 
share. Here we go. Okay, so this guy right here. Let's get this a little bit bigger. Uh, this was. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't personally see anything. I just want to make sure that it's possible that our viewers might be. You're not seeing anything right there. I just see black. See. Oh, there we go. Yep, we're good now. You good? Yep. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, here, here's an image, and what is important here is uh, the ISO, because the ISOs remain the same. So right here, as you can see, I shot this at ISO 1600, and this was inside, uh, um, this was for a wedding. Uh, the couple, this is not the groom right here, uh, the couple rented a party bus to drive us around uh, downtown Indy while got some drinks and uh, went out for the uh, uh, you know bridal party photos and we had a great time but inside the bus you know of course I'm gonna try to get some photos one thing about the bus is that um, doesn't exactly have the best suspension so I really needed to raise up my ISO so that I could get a bit of a faster shutter speed and on top of that because I'm bouncing around and maybe back and forth a little bit um, as you can see, the lens that I used was an 85mm 1.8, but I stopped down to a 2.5 so that I could have a little bit more depth of field there. Awesome. Uh, looking at this image a little closer, I probably should have went with a faster shutter speed, maybe 1 250th of a second. Um, but it's definitely more than fine to deliver. Uh, I, I really enjoy this image. So as you can see, my settings are 1 60th of a second. Um, I had uh, an f-stop, an aperture of 2.5, and my ISO was 1,600. Uh, the, one of the groomsmen in the foreground is completely out of focus. And then the, uh, you know, all the bus, the bus mirror, and the rest of the stuff in the, in the background is also out of focus. So your eye really gets drawn into him. And, you know, the, the very green outfit helps as well. So then the next image that I'm showing, and I hope that this brings up the right one. No, sure enough. Let's see. Oh, it's because I'm on. Here we go. This is the next image, okay? So this is much later in the night, obviously. Uh, we went outside to get some bridal portraits, and I still use the exact same ISO. I use 1600 because, for one, it's nighttime. So I knew that I needed to bump it up. But for two, I also had a flash behind there. So if you're looking at the tree down here in this corner, um, this really isn't being hit with any of the light from my flash. So it's a little bit underexposed, but I knew that I was going to overpower um, the scene with my flash anyway. So 1600 was a good start. I was using a 17 to 40 mil uh, f4 lens. So I just had it at f4.5. Sometimes at night when you're looking through the viewfinder, it's, it's a little harder to tell if they're in critical focus. So I stopped down just a tiny bit. Um, a third of a stop, so f4.5 to give me a little bit more depth of field. And then also, uh, I had it at 1 50th of a second. Uh, the 150th of a second was totally fine by me because I knew uh, that they weren't going to be moving much, and I was pretty far away that they wouldn't be very shaky. I was resting the camera on a, uh, on a planter bed. So it wasn't shaky either. It was actually on a timer delay, so I wasn't touching the camera. I knew that I wasn't going to be influencing how much motion was in, in the camera, so that was good with me. But the point, point being here is that this was night. This was, I don't know, 9 or 10. It, the sun had went down, 
and I'm at ISO 1600. And also earlier in the day, around, I don't know, two o'clock maybe, also ISO 1600. So even though the ISO stayed the same, the other settings had to change to compensate for the amount of available light. So this photo is obviously a little bit overexposed. Um, I don't think that his skin is much overexposed, but everything else is. If I were to shoot this at, like I said, 1 250th of a second, I think that it might have been a bit better for the motion because when, you know, when you view it full, full size, you see, you see a little bit of uh, motion in there, but his eyes are nice and sharp. I'm very happy with that. Looks good to me. So um, let me get off screen share here. Did, did I? I think you, you know what? I think you showed a really great example how very similar settings can be used in two completely different scenarios. Awesome. It's night, it's outdoors, and the couple are at the top of a stairwell. Um, and, and I just took that photo. So once again, it was nighttime, no, no available light um, anywhere. And the other one was in a school bus where there was plenty of light coming from outdoors. Right. Uh, yeah. And we're going to put these photographs on the blog on our website um, so that you can actually view them anytime you want. Yeah, so be sure to check out the show notes. It's going to be www.beginnerphotographypodcast.com backslash zero zero eight. And that is how you're going to be able to, again, see everything that we talked about in this episode as well as uh, see our examples that we posted as well. Uh, I know that we're going to get a lot of... Um, you know, feedback on these photos. And I'm really excited because it just shows that just because it's daytime outside doesn't mean that you have to shoot at ISO 400. And just because it's nighttime doesn't mean that you have to shoot at ISO 3200. Right, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, I think we've done, we have kind of, we've almost beat the, the horse to death. Um, and I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing about it, but... Um, we think those examples will help you kind of get a visual perspective while you're practicing. Um, but to really sum it all up, it's a huge, the exposure triangle is just a huge compensation of moving parts. Um, and again, we say this, I think every week that we have a, a podcast, Raymond, is that you just need to go out and shoot and practice. Um, anything possible that you can take a photograph of, go for it because every photograph you take is going to make you that little bit better. It's absolutely true. And that's all that you need, just to be a little bit better than you were before. Because that is our own goal. And remember that how good a photo is is completely subjective to you. If you like the photo, who cares, you know, if, if the exposure triangle is in the right spot. There's wedding photographers out there who shoot everything, you know, so dark that you can barely tell what's going on. But that's the style that they have created that they enjoy. And they have found other people who enjoy it as well. Uh, so it's all about doing whatever it is that makes you happy, looking at photos that you like and looking at photos that, and taking photos rather that you want to share because ultimately that's, that's what photos are for, for sharing a moment that happened in your life. Absolutely. I think you've just nailed it right on the head there, Raymond. We just want to make sure that those photos are better. You know, we just want to help you start taking better photos. Is there anything else? What else do we need to talk about um, with the exposure triangle today? I'm. Uh, I think we're. 
Have we uh, given everyone a complete master course in the exposure triangle? You know what? If we haven't, they can go ahead and reach out to us on Facebook. They can let us know. They you should anyways. You should just reach out and say, hey, this did help or it didn't help, and here's what I want to know. Yeah, exactly. And you or, know what? I'm sure that if you have a camera, you know somebody else who has a camera. And maybe they're starting to learn photography as well. Share this podcast with them. It's really going to help. Share this YouTube video with them. You know, uh, it's, it's all about sharing the information that we all have to, to make a better community of, of photographers, of awesome photographers. And if that's what you want to be, an awesome photographer, then that's all that you got to do. Yeah. You know what? Personal story. Um, I have a relative who is currently living in South Africa. Um, and he actually is traveling around safari, um, photographing all the wildlife. Um, and from what I know, what he tells me anyways, is that he listens to the podcast. Um, and uh, I hope I, I hope that, you know, if he doesn't know something, it's helping him as well. And he's even had some of his photographs published. So um, every level can enjoy this podcast. Um, from never turned on a camera to been using it for five years. Um, we, we just hope that it helps. Um, sorry, I'm out of frame because I just pulled the power from my laptop and uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want it to die on me. The system is shutting down. Well, yeah. I think that that's kind of a, a great way to end this. Um, we, we really did cover a lot. And once again, if, if you have anything that you want to ask, reach out to us. Let us know on Facebook, send us an email, leave us a comment in the show notes on, at the beginnerphotographypodcast.com. Again, that's facebook.com slash beginnerphotographypodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review if you have found anything helpful. Leave us a review on iTunes. That is how we get discovered by other people. The more reviews that you leave us, the more iTunes is willing to show us to others to help them grow as much as we have helped you. So if we have helped you, we would be ever so appreciative if you were to do that. But again, Callum, we killed this one. And if I we believe. did we are sure to hear about it, buddy. Yeah, I, I've had a great time these last this last mini-series. Um, I think we got a cool surprise cooking up for next week's podcast. Hint, hint, uh, maybe it's a guest, hint, hint. Ooh. Don't give it away. Give <laughs> or maybe it away. it's not a guest. Hint, hint. I don't. I don't know. What I'm uh, no, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. You can't. Pro, you can't like dangle the toy in front of them and then take it away. It doesn't. Okay. Everyone. It, everyone, everyone can fight Raymond. <laughs> well, I'm excited uh, to talk to our guest, and uh, and I think that's it. Until next time, guys. Uh, Calvin, unless you got anything else to share, buddy. No. Keep shooting. I want to see more stuff all the time. More stuff all the time guys have a great week we will see you next week when hopefully it is a little bit warmer and we can get out more huh yes absolutely all right guys have a great week start shooting see you later, later.